I don't have much, guys, so be gentle. Hey, I hope you guys had a great, great Christmas. I don't know about y'all, but like um, Christmas was really good, but something strange has happened. My jeans are fitting a little bit tighter today for some reason. You know, they must have shrunk in the uh, wash, right? So uh, that cold cycle will get you every time. So, hey, so check this out. So this Christmas, I was able to, to kind of have a moment with my littlest one, Lydia, um, in that I had to show her a rite of passage of Christmas. And, and you guys will get this here in just a second, especially you older, older ones, uh, like 20 and older. Um, Got to be careful how I say that. Um, but check it out. So we were able to sit down Christmas evening, and me and my girl were able to watch a Christmas story. She had never seen it before. And here's the thing, man. I didn't realize how, like, vulgar that thing was until you got, like, your child, your littlest one sitting on your lap. It's like, hey, I don't remember them using them words. She was, like, mesmerized with it, right? And so she was like, Dad, this is, you know, so good. In fact, you know, it's kind of on the rerun thing, right? I found her later on. She was still watching it after, like, 12 hours later, you know. And so she was watching it again, and she was just, like, really mesmerized and, 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 and loved the show and loved the movie and all that. But there's a particular scene that's in that movie that is one of my favorite scenes in all movies. And you guys that have seen this movie, which is probably just about all of y'all, is the time when Ralphie and his boys are out in the schoolyard, right? And my boy puts his tongue on the pole. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, that, that to me, you know, and again, if you don't recall this, what's going on, right, is, is uh, there's, a, there's this uh, competition, there's this thing going on between these two boys where one of them saying, listen, you can't put your tongue on it, it'll stick to it, and the other one's saying, hey, you're stupid, that'll never happen, because that's how boys talk to one another, correct? But here's the deal, man, that's a life lesson. There's a life lesson learned in there. Why? Because this is what I tell my students all the time, and maybe I've said it up here before, and it's so true even in this show right here, right, is this. When you get a teenage boy or a young adult male, and if you put two or three or four of them into the room, the collective IQ dramatically drops, right? You guys, listen, guys know what I'm talking about we did with, you know, especially guys, ladies, y'all have a little bit more common sense to you, but us gentlemen, we can all tell about stories of hanging out with with the dudes, you know, and doing some stupid, stupid stuff, you know, that's stupid, right, it's like, but why, because you get guys together, and it's like, they don't get smarter, they get dumber, I had an in, uh, 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 instance of this when I was in high school. Many of you guys know um, I graduated high school. I, I was born in Florida, raised in my, you know, raised mostly in Florida, and I was living in a place called Cape Coral. Which, if you look at the map of Florida, if you take Miami and go to the west coast to the Gulf of Mexico over here, um, it's on the Gulf side. So it's just right across from there. Now, one of the unique things about Cape Coral is this. Um, not only is it like a bustling, you know, kind of little suburb that's kind of growing and, and large, but the reason it's really large, too, is most of it is swamp. So it's kind of part of the Everglades. So great thing is about a high school kid, and I'm going to kind of, you know, Mess myself up here, but, you know, we all did dumb stuff as teenagers. Um, we used to go party out in the Everglades when we were in high school. And the great thing about partying in the Everglades is this. If you've ever seen pictures of it, there really aren't a lot of trees down there. 
It's really flat. As a teenager, it was great because you would have these roads that would lead out there. And if we were maybe doing stuff that we're not supposed to be doing, y'all can kind of fill in the blank, you could see the cops coming for miles. And it would be like, hey, they're coming. And then you saw like the great exodus happening from the party scene. And if they were coming in this way, guess where the, we were leaving? That way, you know. And so we were gone, you know. But we could see them for miles away coming in. But check this out. So one night, we're out there, and we're partying a little bit, doing our thing. And my buddies are like, hey, we should just camp out. And I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, we can do that. And so they side camp out. And, and I don't know what kind of guys. Listen, I know I'm in Lugolf. Um, and, you know, and I, and I guess country boys do this. They just have tents in the back of their car, you know. And I'm just like, they're just there, you know. And I'm like, dude, did you not, nah, bro? Nah, Bo, we always bring them tents. You never know. We got to be, you know, just in case. And so they bring these tents out, and we're like, you know, pitching these tents. About 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, my boys come up, and they're like, hey, you want to go with us? Loaded question. And I'm like, well, what are we doing? We're going hunting. You're going hunting? At 3 a.m.? Like, yeah, we're going hunting. And I'm like, Next question is, what are we hunting? Alligator. First problem is, if you remember in the 80s, it was illegal to hunt alligators, and there was a huge fine that came with that. The other big problem I had with this is alligators will eat you. You know? And so I'm talking to these guys, and they're like, I was like, well, well, how do you hunt alligator? You know, and I'm thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And they're like, well, we've got three things we got. We've got this long stick, we've got a flashlight, and then we've got the gun. I was like, well, tell me how this works. Well, Jack, you're going to take the long stick, and we're going to go, and basically there's huge reeds, and you're just kind of pushing the reeds back as we're walking through this thing, and then I'm looking for his eyes with the flashlight, and then little Joey's going to shoot him. And I was like, ah, no, this ain't working for me. And they're like, what, what, you want the flashlight? I said, no, mm -mm, I want the gun. <laughs> Jack, you're blind. <laughs> well, I'm not going to shoot the alligator. I'm going to shoot you idiots for taking me out here thinking we're going alligator hunting. You know what I mean? And so, but here's the thing, man. It was a life lesson, right? Life lesson is that Jack ain't going alligator hunting ever because there's a difference between deer and alligator. Deer don't eat you. They just don't. Alligators, you go hunt alligators, you may never return. And then, you know, all they find is like a shoe, you know. We found a shoe, you know, so must have been eaten by the alligator, then they leave you, you know. But it's one of the, at 3 a.m. in the morning, I said, you guys are idiots. Take me home. I'm ready to go home. Y'all were too dumb for me to hang out with y'all. I want to go home. And I just kind of had a conniption fit, and they took me home. Because I was like, I don't even want to hang out with y'all anymore. Y'all are just dumb alligator hunting at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know. So, but check it out. Life lesson, right? All of us can probably talk, and again, especially guys around lunch table, and again, if you got your children in here, hey, ask mom or ask dad, especially dad, say, hey, tell me a time when you were a teenager that you did something dumb, and he's probably going to have like a dozen stories of just dumb stuff he did. Because why? Because he was with his buddies, and when you get with your buddies at that age, you do dumb stuff. But here's the thing, we've learned from there. Well, hopefully you've learned from those, you know, um, and, and learned from those life lessons, you know. But here's the thing, man, with those life lessons, what happens? It's kind of helped mold you to the person you are today. 
or maybe even to the person that you're becoming today, life lessons. And so we're going to talk about a little bit of that today. And I want you guys to hear this. Someone once said that life is a house that we build as we go along. Again, life is a house that we build as we go along. And I love what scripture says about this, about building this house as we're going through these life lessons. Listen, builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. What is he saying here? He's saying that, you know what, if you don't build the foundations of your life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, it is going to crumble and it is going to fall. It is not going to be a solid foundation. And so that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Building your house, building your life on a solid foundation which is Jesus Christ himself. Psychologists say this. Psychologists tell us that character is the person you know or become over time. And so this is this character, the character of who we are, of how people perceive us. And again, how does our character get formed? It gets formed through life lessons, learning along the way. And becoming, hopefully, more and more like Jesus as we take those steps. Today, we're going to look at building this foundation. We're going to look at, you know what, at, at, at the, 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 the ingredients it takes to build this foundation. And we're going to be in a, a chapter that, you know what, or a, a, a book that is probably the deepest book in all of Scripture if you want to go and like have your mind, Book of Romans today, we believe this is written by the Apostle Paul, although he never says it's Paul who writes this. Just through his writings, we believe it is Paul. And so we're going to look, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be looking verses um, 3 through 5. So I believe they're going to be right up here. And it says this, it says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that afflictions produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This morning we're going to look at the elements of the process, the elements of the process of building your foundations upon Jesus. The things, the ingredients that you know what, that go into there. And we're going to look at these particular verses and dissect them and say, hey, you know what, as the new year is beginning, what are the things that you know what, that, that, that God is going to use this new year as, as we start 2020 to kind of help us be more like him? To kind of have that process continue, that house to being built. And so the first thing is this, joy. I think joy, because I think when we think of joy, we think happy. You know, it's like, ah, it's happy. No, because you can be miserable and still have joy. And I'm going to explain that here in a little bit. Definition of joy, when we look in scripture, means two things. It means either to be glad or to rejoice. See, joy is the, I want to get this, joy is the abiding sense that Christ is with us through and in everything. What does that mean, Jack? It means this. I remember going and getting a phone call. My father had passed away. 
and it was a uh, hospice home, Ascension Hospice Home in Irmo. And so I got the call, and then we went down to the, uh, the, uh, the room that he was staying. He died kind of suddenly. And I remember walking into the room, and his shell, his body was laying there. And I remember walking in there, and some of you guys have heard me tell this story. It was the God-awfulest songs that were being played, that were being pumped into this room. That I was like, dude, I think they just want us to cry. Because it was just one of this lull thing. And I know some of you are like, dude, is he just heartless? I'm hoping you get what I'm saying here in just a minute. And I thought, why are they trying to make us sad with the music being played here? Again, we're mourning and we're grieving. But I remember walking in there and I looked at the attendant that was in the room and I said, can you turn that off? And then my nieces grabbed my sisters and they said, Jack, Uncle Jack seemed like he was happy that Grandpa died. And they kind of told me this. And so I went and talked to them. I said, listen, I want to talk with you all a little bit because I want you to understand something. I'm grieving right now. I said, I'm mourning. I said, I've cried. I said, I already miss him. I said, but I want you to understand this. What you're seeing is me is joy because I know this. A couple days ago, I said, I led your grandpa to Christ. And knowing that, I know that I'm going to see him again. Knowing that, I know that, you know what, he's been sick for a long, long time, that he's missed his wife, and he's been reunited with Jesus and with her. And I said, so I take joy in that. I said, I'm not happy. I am grieving and I'm mourning, but I've got joy because I know this isn't it. This isn't it. I know right now that, you know what, your grandpa He's got mom in one hand and Jesus in the other one, and they're walking him through the four corners of heaven, and Jesus saying, listen, I built this for you. That's joy, knowing that. Again, I'm not happy, but that's joy, knowing there's more out there, right? And so that's the difference. And I remember them looking, and they're like, I think we get that. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich. Drink what is sweet. Kind of sounds like Christmas a little bit, right? Um, drink. Some of y'all are like, yeah, some of the drinks a little bit sweeter than others. Um, yeah, that's bad. And, <laughs> and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. But this is where it gets good. He says, since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. That's what joy is. Joy is is the Lord brings us strength. That's why there's joy. And that's one of the ingredients that, you know what, as we start this new year that we need to look at and say, hey, man, do I have joy in my life? Do I have that? Can, can, can I sit there and, you know what, and do I perceive things with a joyful heart? Because I'm going to tell you what, man, I don't see how you can live life without joy. It's an important, important ingredient. And again, it tells us here in these scriptures, man, do you have that joy, man? Because joy is something awesome. Again, in these things, the next ingredient is this. And again, this is one of those, oh, you're going to be like, why do you want to put that ingredient in there? Why? Because it's kind of life. 
The next thing he says, you know what, after joy, he says, there's going to be troubles. See, we all have troubles. They are an inevitable part of life, are as people. And what I mean by that is, again, I love what happens in James chapter 1, verse 2. This is the half-brother of Jesus talking about these troubles or talking about these trials. And look what he says. He says this, and this is one of those things. I love when I read these scriptures to people sometimes. They're like, that don't even make sense, Right? But check it out. It says, consider it a great joy. Some versions will say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. And what he's saying here is this. He's saying, listen, when do you grow the most? As a person, when do you grow the most? When you're on that peak or when you're in that valley? Right? We grow the most when we're in that valley. Man, God is cutting edges off of us. You know what he's doing? He's taking the bad stuff off of us, and he's forming us into a more perfect person because he's starting to mold us into his image through those moments. And it's one of those things he's saying, listen, take pure joy in this because you need to understand what God is trying to do. Again, God may have not put you in that trial, so I do want you to understand that. So, hey, why has God put you in there? Let's be honest. Most of the time, we put ourselves in that trial. But what is so amazing about our God is he can use those trials that we put ourselves in, and man, and he can teach us. He gives us those life lessons more into him. And so that's what James is saying. It's like, dude, take joy in this because through this, you're going to be stronger. Through this, you're going to be closer to God. And through this, you're going to look a lot more like him. So take joy in that. Um, the next thing is this. The next ingredient is This is very hard, this one, and you will understand why here in a minute. Patience, patience. Peanut, one of my boys, some of you guys know Peanut. Peanut's been here, led worship on various occasions. I've known Peanut for about 20 years now, and it's real funny. I've known him, that, and and he started off as a student in my youth ministry, and now he's this worship leader, and he's just... It's, it's, it's God has done some incredible things with him, but it's real funny. Me and Peanut will get together after 20 years, and he's like, you know, Jack, I've been with you a long, long, long time. And you don't ever yell unless it's at your kids. Y'all get that? Some of y'all get that, right? You know, because, again, I love my students, but I really love my kids, and they can get underneath my skin more than anybody else. Why? Because I love them probably, you know, I, I love them a lot more than anything else. And it's one of those, I want more for them than I want anything else. And it's one of those, they aggravate me more than anything else, you know. And so with that in that passage, it's the love chapter. And I think as Paul went through and wrote that, he knew exactly what he was doing. Because what's the first thing he says about love? Love is patient. Whenever I do marriage counseling, this is a scripture that I go to and I talk to them. I said, you know, I don't think there's a coincidence that Paul uses this one first because I think it's the one we probably struggle with the most. You know, if you're married, your husband or wife probably can get on your nerves more than anybody else you come in contact with outside of your kids, you know, um, But it's why, because love is patient. It's saying, hey, listen, because love is going to try those patients. Because you're probably letting them in a lot closer than normal. But this is an important ingredient. 
And as God is forming you into who he wants you to be, which is more like him, it's going to be this patience thing. Um, Patience, and here's what we need to learn about patience too. Patience is a learned discipline. It's not one of those that all of a sudden, hey, I got patience, guys. I opened this present for Christmas, and bam, patience jumped out. It don't work that way, you know. It's one of those things that, you know what, you've got to work on this thing, Jeff Rapp. You've got to go through, and it's a learned discipline, you know. Golly, I'm a jerk. Um, the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, talking about when you have this Holy Spirit, this God living inside of you, here's the fruit that should be uh, bore from it. It says, a Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and this is a huge one too, self-control. But it's saying, hey, this is one of the big ones. This is one of those that, you know what, as that spirit's working in you, this is what's going to start coming out of you a little bit more because God's working in you through that Holy Spirit. And so it's that patience, it's that ingredient that's there. Um, I believe... um, Patience is God's tool to make the troubles we face have meaning. Let me say that again. I believe that patience is God's tool to make the troubles we face have meaning. Fourth point is this, character. Romans 5, 4 says this, endurance produces proven character. Let me say that again. Endurance produces produces proven character. What character is? Character is the process of becoming more like Jesus. This is the part of this ingredient that is going to last the longest. Because having um, the funeral service, maybe it's, you know what, when people are just gathered and they're they're remembering you, character is the thing they're going to talk about the most. This is the thing that's going to last. And so the thing I want you to understand is this, is what are people going to say about you? Because if you don't have Jesus, and if he's not the foundation in which you stood, stood on, if he's not the ingredient that has been pouring into your life, it could be scary. It can be very scary. See, character is what defines us as Christians. It's what people will remember It's what people, when they talk about you at home, they'll say and say, hey, you know what, man, he's such a good guy. Man, she's such a godly woman. You want to, I'll call her out in a heartbeat, and she is going to hate this, but I don't give a dig-dag burn. Tammy Smith to me, that's character. That is the sweetest woman I think I've ever met in my entire life. She is going to be greeting you at heaven. (laughs) All right, and giving you hugs. So, (laughs) So, um. See, character is the process of becoming, again, more like Jesus. It is character that allows Christ to shine through you because that's what we really want if you've given your life to Christ. Is when people look at you, when people look at me, I don't grow in Jesus. I'm hoping that I'm growing deader to myself and I'm growing more alive in him. Because if they see me, it's nasty and it's filthy and it's ugly. But if they see Jesus, they're going to run to it and say, man, this is awesome. Not because I'm trying to bring me glory. It's because I want to show Jesus to every man, woman, and child I ever come in contact with. Fifth thing is this. Lord, I think that's fifth. That's really, really, really small. Hope. Hope. 
Romans 5, 4, continuing on, the second part of that uh, scripture says this. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. I've told this story before. I remember having a conversation with my older brother, Keith. And um, Keith uh, has, has since, I think, given his life to Christ. We're still in the process of that, but I think he's, he's starting to baby walk. And, and, but I remember sitting there uh, before he gave his life to Christ, and me and him were talking and he was kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek with Jesus, kind of making fun of the whole Christianity thing. And I just remember looking at him, and I said, Keith, I have something that you'll never have. And he, he kind of looked at me, and he smiled, and said, well, what's that? What you got that I can't get? And I told him, I said, hope. I said, because here's the thing. The only place you find hope is at the foot of Jesus. The only thing that can give you hope is Jesus. And so if you're sitting out there and maybe you're checking the church thing out, I want you to take a step back and I want you to marinate on that a little bit. Because I want so badly for you to come to Jesus and to know him. But this is one of the things I want you to understand. You don't have hope if you don't have Jesus. You just can't. And so what is this thing, hope? Hope comes in one form. Again, that's Jesus. In hope, we look ahead beyond what we face to what um, is coming. Again, with hope, it's not what we're going through now. It's saying, hey, you know what? What's to come? Let me give you a great illustration of hope. Have you ever met someone who was sold out for Christ and they have cancer? You're talking about something that will mess you up. I had a, a guy that I went to church with when I first came to Christ. One of the guys, dude, he was battling cancer, lost all of his hair. And every time I walked in to see him, you know what I saw? A smile on his face, and I saw Jesus just radiating from every pore of his body. And again, cancer was absolutely riddling his body. But I sat here, and I sat there, and I watched this guy battle cancer, battle for his life. And the one thing that I saw in him where he should be from one place, Jesus. Because cancer sucks. I don't know if I can say that with kids in here. It's kind of one of those. But it does. And for me to see someone battling this awful disease... And it doesn't even look like it bothers them. And I'm like, dude, what is with this guy? And I remember talking to somebody and said, oh, that's easy. He's got Jesus. That's hope. Saying, hey, you know what? Even though I'm going through this, man, I know what the victory line is going to look like. And it ain't going to be asphalt. It's going to be streets of gold. And so that's hope. In hope, we see past today's troubles and see God in front of us, clearing the path. Hope is the knowledge for today that tomorrow will be different. The last ingredient is this. As we sit here and we kind of look at this thing, what we need to build our foundations on and how God molds us and builds us is this, God's presence. God's presence. This is huge. Romans 5, 4 says this. It says, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our spirit is God himself. When you give your life to Jesus, guess what happens? This is amazing. God himself comes and lives within you. 
A lot of times I sit here, and it's funny because working with students, and, and I hear this all the time, you're in church, don't lie. You ever heard somebody say that? And I'm like, this is just a building. This is God's temple. See, God ain't dwelling in here so much as he is in here. This is where he's at. This is where, you know what? This is where, where, where he calls home. It's because when I gave my life to Christ, Jesus now dwells, that Holy Spirit now dwells in me. And it's amazing and it's awesome. I tell students this all the time. Sometimes, and you guys that have been here for a while have heard me say this, we're going to want to run up to Noah and we're going to run up to Moses and we're going to run up to David and say, dude, how was it, you know, Jonah, how was it to be in the belly of that fish for three days? Dude, that had to be kind of smelly. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. Noah, how was it, dude, you built like the big old boat like in this valley, you know, and brought all these, how was that? And they're going to stop you. They're going to say, wait, wait, wait. That's nothing. They're going to say, I want to know, how was it, how did it feel having God live in you? Because I truly think they're going to stop you and ask you that. David says, it, renew a right spirit in me. He says, hey, please don't take away this spirit from me. He tasted it and he loved it and he didn't want to leave. And so in the Old Testament, God would kind of give it and then take it back a little bit. Now he just gives it to us. And I'm telling you, people in heaven are going to run up to you and they're going to ask you, man, how was it to have that? Because it's something that is awesome. See, God assures us that he is with us even in the difficult times. See, it's one of those things when we're in those valleys, you know what, and we're stumbling and we're falling, and we're, you know what, and then when you get through it and you think, man, how did I get through it? You didn't get through it. Jesus carried you. Jesus grabbed you and said, listen, here's the deal, man. I'm not sitting on the other side of this waiting for you to get through this trial. I'm in the midst of this trial with you. And when you stumble and you fall, it's not your strength you need to lean on. It's mine. And so Jesus picks you up and he carries you when you need to be carried. He dusts you off when you need to be dusted off. And here's the biggest thing of all. He loves you when no one else will. That's what Jesus does. And feeling God's presence and knowing that he's with you. And here's the thing. I love what scripture says. Man, if he's with you, who can stand against you? Not even cancer can. Second part of this process is the outcome of the process. When all this is going on, what's the outcome look like? See, as we endure the troubles and allow the lessons to be taught, we gain an inner sense and knowledge that God is with us through our problems. It's one of those things, again, is that you know what? That we know that we know that God is with us, that God is working through us, that God is working around us, that God is doing amazing, amazing things. You know why? It's simple. Because he loves you. He wants you to succeed more than even you want to succeed. Again, if you have children, I think you can kind of grasp a hold of that. Because I truly think the parents that I know that are in here, you want more for your child than what you had, right? You want, you want me to say, dude, I want it so bad. I tell, my, I tell Andrew that all the time. Dude, I want it so bad for you. I said, it hurts. But God wants it even worse. 
He wants it so bad for you. He wants you to succeed so, so, so much. Now, here's the deal as we close this message out. Sometimes what can happen is we start to have this foundation built as we give our lives to Christ. And is that as we start this walk, sometimes the people that we knew in the past still look at you as your old self and not the new one. I don't know if you've ever had that or not. I have. And it's one of those, I had my brother, my older brother one time said, he says, you know what, you can fool those church people. You can't fool me. I know you. And I was like, wow. You know. But my thing is like, I don't want you to look at me back then. I want you to look at me now because now it's Jesus. And sometimes what will happen is, is, you know what, maybe we'll look at people and we'll say, man, there's no way. There's no stinking way. Maybe someone's come through this church and you've known them. You know what, growing up, it's like the church is about to fall in and burn up. They just walk through the doors, right? You know, but here's the thing, man. Here's what's awesome is Jesus saves everyone. All you have to do is just receive it. And it don't matter what you've done in the past. It don't matter what you're doing now, man. That gift of eternal life, he's saying, man, here it is. Now, here's the deal. I'm not going to push it on you, but all you got to do is just grab it. And again, you ain't got to run to it. You just got to grab it. That's an awesome thing. But here's the thing sometimes, man. Sometimes with people, we want to look at some things and say, man, there's no way, right? There's no way. I want to read in dollars. He has four number one songs, and he's got 21 Grammys. I want you to listen to the lyrics of the song. Um, and again, it's a song, and it's a rap song. And so I want you to listen to this. It says this. He says, I know I won't forget all that he's done. He's the strength in the race that I run. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness. And it shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody I will tell to the whole world is healed. King of kings and Lord of lords, all the things that he has in store, from the rich to the poor, all are welcomed through the door. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus, save me now, I'm sane. And I know, I know that God is the force that picked me up. I know that Christ is the fountain that filled my cup. I know that God is alive, yeah. He has opened up my vision, given me a revelation. This ain't but a dead religion. Jesus brought a revolution. All the captives are forgiven. Time to mention, Jesus, you have my soul. You want to know who that is? Show me the picture. Kanye West. And I know there are some out there that, you know what, that look in his past and say, dude, this, this dude's crazy. There's no way. remember having a conversation with my brother, Chris. This is my younger brother. And he says, you know what my prayer has been over the last couple weeks? He says, one of two things, either revival or rapture. Either revival or rapture. And me and him were talking about him, and I don't know if you've seen too, apparently Brad Pitt has given his life to Christ. And I sit here and I think, you know what? Think about the influence this guy has. 
Go to YouTube and watch his testimony. And my prayer is that you know what, man, that what he's going through is a true transformation. Those lyrics are on it. I sat there and I read that and I thought, man, this is a guy that I think might get it. But here's the problem, I think. You're going to have people who aren't Christians who be like, Kanye, he's just crazy. But unfortunately, he may have brothers and sisters in Christ to say, hey, he's crazy. And here's what I want to say to that. Because I hope that, you know what, he has met Jesus. And I hope and pray that, you know what, that he does know him and that Christ is starting to transform him. But I want you to say, you know what, man, what kind of influences can this guy, the doors that he can open that there's no way someone, and and I will go there, with our skin color can do for most of us in here. That he can go and bring a revival. A revival. That's what we need to be excited about. And that's what we need to be prayerful about with him is say, God, make him a man of character. God, make him a man that you know what, that allows these ingredients to come into his life and to transform him, Jesus, to make him look more like you. Because, Lord, here's the thing, man. If he's really given his life to Christ, we should be praising the Lord for that. Because one who was lost is now found. And so that's my prayer today is this. So I want you to understand, I don't know how far you are from God, but I do know this. I know he loves you. And I know he wants what's best for you. And he's saying, man, look at these scriptures and allow these things to work through you so that you can start looking more like the one we want to look like, which is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. Lord, your love just absolutely blows my mind. Lord, I think think of Kanye West and Brad Pitt that is genuine. I pray that it's not about show, that it's about glitz or anything like that, Father, but it's about you. And I pray that my brothers and sisters will pray for these guys. I pray that, you know what, that we'll start praying, you know what, for revival. Because that's something this nation needs bad, is revival. It seems every day we're taking a step away from you more and more, Father. But I just pray, Lord, that you know what, through guys like him, through people who are in this audience here today, in this sanctuary, Father, I pray, Lord, that you use us to show you. Because I do know this, more than anything that I know, is if people see you, if they genuinely see you, Jesus, they are going to run to you. Because you in your purest form, Father, we can't help but go to you. Because you're amazing and you're glorious. And so, Jesus, I just pray that, you know what, we prayerfully pray for our brothers and sisters. That we don't look to condemn, but we look to edify and to encourage. And so, Jesus, as we get ready to, to, to sing this last song, as we get ready to praise you in this last song, Lord, it is so awesome to think that every single person has the opportunity to come to know you, Lord, because your scripture says that, you know what, Jesus, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through the Son. And Lord, you've made a way for all.